0: It's that time of year when the bookshops have got their displays ready for selling their Christmas books. What, what are going to be the bestsellers this year, do you think? What are the best-selling books every year? Well, I'm pretty confident that at the top come cookery books, but closely followed by biographies. Biographies always dominate the bestsellers, uh, along with cookery books. Why? Why biographies? Well, we're interested in people's lives. We're interested to learn about people like us or different from us. I wonder, which would you rather read? A biography, a story of someone interesting, or a textbook on decision-making? Well, I'm sure the biography. Well, maybe not for everyone, but I expect the biography will be more interesting. But do you know what? You also might, from the biography, learn more about decision-making you might actually learn more. Because a textbook has to simplify and get things in neat order. But the biography, if it's any good, will show up that life is often not simple and not neatly ordered. And so we can learn a lot from people's lives. Because our lives aren't simple and neat and reducible to five points in a textbook. And so the Bible is full of stories. The Bible gives us the stories of people's lives, so many of them, so we can get a better idea of what trusting God and following Jesus is like. Because it's often not simple and neatly ordered. As we've been going through Mark, which is what we're doing on Sunday mornings, we've got to the true story of a person interacting with Jesus. And it's in Mark chapter 10. Would you turn with me, please, to Mark chapter 10, Verses 17 to 31. On the pink sheet, which you've probably got, it's got page numbers for the church Bibles and it's got some points showing where we're going with this. I want to simply go through the story of this young man who came to Jesus so we can get a better idea of what trusting God and following Jesus is like. And we have... In verse 17, a promising start. A promising start. What's the first thing we read this young man doing in verse 17? Have a look in verse 17. The very first thing we read him doing is running. Running. When did you last run? When did you last run to get something? I know it's a bit different in Loughborough because there's loads of people running. And I know children, you're often running. But adults don't very often. What do you run for? To catch a bus or a train? You run for something if it's urgent. Like you're late for your bus. You're just about to miss the train. Running means urgency and enthusiasm. And here is this man, verse 17, he's running to Jesus. He is eager for Jesus. Well, that's a very promising start. As Jesus had said back in chapter 8, follow me. You must follow me. And here's a man running after Jesus. This looks good. What's the next thing you read about about this man? Verse 17. He's running. What's the next thing? He falls on his knees in front of Jesus. What's it like falling on your knees? Well, I can tell you at this moment, it's a bit embarrassing and and humiliating. It's getting down low, isn't it? It's getting down low. Why, Why back in history would people get on their knees in front of a king? Remember, a king would often have a sword in the past. If you're on your knees, well, he can use his sword on you, but you can't on him. Getting on your knees in front of the king is saying, I am here to submit to you. I am here to humble myself before you. I am here as a beggar before you. Well, this is a very promising start, because just back in verse 15, Jesus has said, become like a little child. Recognise you are low and needy. And that's what this man seems to be like. What next do we read about him? Verse 17. He said, good teacher to Jesus. Respectful. And says, Jesus, I need to learn from you. Well, this is a very promising start because back in chapter 9, God himself had said about Jesus, he is my son, listen to him. It's all sounding very good. So what next do we read about him in verse 17? He asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Eternal life here means life in God's kingdom, life in the age to come, when God has removed all the sin and suffering of this world. And this man says, I want that. How can I get it? Well, this is very promising. As Jesus had said back in chapter 8, it's worth giving everything up to get eternal life. Put getting eternal life above everything else. Now, do you see how this man links in to what we've already seen in the last few weeks from chapters 8, 9 and a bit into chapter 10? And he looks very promising. Are you like him? Are you like this man? Are you keen to hear from Jesus? Do you think that Jesus has the answers you need? Are you seeking God? Are you interested in finding out about Christianity? Does eternal life sound desirable to you? Good, good, if that's you, that's good. I hope it is you, that's good. But don't stop there. This man had a very promising start. But sadly, we'll find he's nowhere near as promising at the end. So don't stop there. If you like him in verse 17, that's great. But don't be satisfied with just that. Learn from what comes later. So let's move on to what comes later. Next, after a promising start, we have an exposing answer. In verses 18 to 21, an exposing answer. The man asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him things to do. He said, what must I do? Jesus tells him things to do. They're in verse 19. Like, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal. Jesus is quoting some of the Ten Commandments. And the man says, I've done them. So Jesus tells him something more to do. It's in verse 21. Go and sell everything that you have. Give the money to the poor and come and follow me. Jesus tells him things to do. Now, how would you answer this man? If he had come to you and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? How would you answer him? Do you have an answer? Have you got one ready for him? I hope so because you might not get exactly that question, but you might get asked things like it, what would you answer him? I think I'd probably answer him something like, do? No, it's not about doing, it's about believing. It's not about what you do, it's about trusting what Jesus has done. Well, why didn't Jesus answer like that? Why did Jesus tell him things to do? Obey the commandments to get eternal life. Give away your money to get eternal life. Jesus, don't you know evangelical Christianity? Did Jesus not teach that we are saved by trusting him alone? Was that something made up later by the Apostle Paul? Some people say that, you know. They say, Jesus, he taught a simple message of doing good. Then along came Paul and complicated it all with all this teaching about faith alone. Such people they actually haven't read the apostle paul properly they certainly haven't read the gospels properly think of john 3:16 jesus said god so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall what not perish but have eternal life or well, you don't have to go as far as john just look back a couple of verses at mark 10:15 Mark 10 verse 15, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. What did he mean like a little child? It wasn't a romanticised view of children are all cute or perfect or really humble. Anyone who's a parent knows that children are not always really humble or cute and very definitely not perfect. It's something like this. Imagine you go round a friend's house for a meal. They are a couple in their 20s and they've got an 18 month old daughter. Notice I said 18 month old. And you sit down to a lovely roast dinner and you say to them halfway through, Oh, what a meal. Thank you. And they say, Don't thank us, thank our daughter. She went and earned the money to buy it, she went and got it from the shops. She cooked it, she's laid the table, she's done it all. What are they talking about? Did you notice I said 18 month old daughter? There she is in her high chair needing to be the food spooned to her and not even able to talk. She's totally dependent. She can't provide anything. She needs to be provided for. She needs everything to be given to her. And that's what Jesus means when in verse 15 he says, be like a little child. By the way, the word is for a very little child. One that is totally dependent. Jesus is saying, you can only get into his kingdom, you can only get eternal life by receiving it. Like a little child has to be given. By being dependent. By seeing that you are weak and needy, not earning it, not capable, not getting it through your ability or goodness. Well then, Jesus, given that that's what you believe, given that's the truth, why did you tell this man good deeds to do? Why give him this strange answer? Because Jesus is wise and he knows us humans. And he knows it is easy to say, I believe in Jesus. But are you really? He knows it's so easy to believe some things about Jesus. And to really believe those some things about Jesus, but not actually trust him. And Jesus doesn't just want a decision. He doesn't just want a person to go on a list of converts. He wants us to really trust him. And that trust involves coming to the end of our self-confidence. That trust is not just ticking off, yes, I believe that Jesus was born as a baby 2,000 years ago. It involves coming to the end of your self-confidence and recognising I'm like a little child weak and needing God to give to me. And so to this rich, capable, successful young man, Jesus gives an answer that exposes to him, he's not as good and capable as he thinks. But you see, trusting Jesus also involves something else. It involves considering Jesus to be the way to eternal life. And because he is the one and only way to eternal life, we are willing to part with anything, that would get in the way of following him. That's been the subject since chapter 8 onwards. Jesus has said, follow me. Whatever it costs, follow me, because I'm the one who can give you eternal life. And Jesus' answer is exposing, will you really trust and follow him? Do you consider it worth giving up anything for him, the one and only, who can get you eternal life? So, Jesus gives him an exposing answer. It's about exposing what he's like to himself. We then thirdly have a sad end. A sad end, verse 22. Verse 22, at this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. He had run eagerly to Jesus. Now he walks away sad children do you know what it means for his face to fail uh, to fall doesn't mean he dropped it on the floor has to pick it up yeah what happens if the ends of your mouth fall you're looking sad why is he like this because there's something he considers more important than following jesus keeping his money and what does his money mean to him it means not being like a little child but being someone in control If he gives up his money, he's not in control. If he keeps his money right, he's safe. He's in control. He's resourceful and he's high status. Just the opposite to a little child. And he won't give that up. You know, it is possible to kneel at church to Jesus, but not kneel to him in daily life. It's possible to have some respect for Jesus as good teacher but not be willing to follow him if it gets too demanding. It's possible to run eagerly to Jesus and then walk sadly from Jesus if he clashes with your agenda for your life. And so verse 23 we read, Jesus looked around and spoke to his disciples. It's a signpost he's now going to go from... The example of this man to a wider lesson. So let's move on to the wider lesson. We have now, fourthly, an impossible problem. In verse 23 to 27. An impossible problem. Now let's start it this way. What do you know about Elon Musk? What do you know about Elon Musk? He owns Tesla. I think he's into space travel, isn't he, and trying to send rockets to the moon and that sort of thing. I'm getting some (laughs) nods there. And he's recently bought Twitter. Imagine being able to buy Twitter. And that connects with the next thing. He's the richest man in the world. He has apparently overtaken Jeff Bezos, the Amazon man, and he's the richest man in the world. So Elon Musk must be pretty good at weighing evidence and coming to decisions. Yes, whatever you might think of him, because he's pretty controversial, he must be pretty good at weighing evidence and coming to decisions. Now, if becoming a Christian is just that, weighing the evidence and coming to a good decision, Elon Musk would be one of the more likely people to become a Christian. Surely, if that's all it is, weigh the evidence, come to a good decision. But Jesus says no. Elon Musk is one of the least likely people to become a Christian. Why? Why? Because becoming a Christian isn't just weighing the evidence and making a good decision. Becoming a Christian, trusting Jesus, involves letting go of your self-confidence. And if you're rich and successful, that's less likely. And so Jesus says... In verse 23, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. You see, also trusting Jesus involves putting him above everything else. And the richer you are, the more you have to lose. And so the harder it is to do. And so Jesus says again in verse 24, because the disciples find it hard to believe, he says again, verse 24, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. And so Jesus then goes on to say something very odd in verse 25. Something very odd. Children here, I wonder, you probably can't see what I'm holding because it's small. Surely you can't. I can only just see it. I bet you can't see it. But you might guess what it is. Yes, it's thin and it's metal. It's got a point at one end and a hole at the other end. And look at verse 25 and I'm sure you'll guess what it is. It's a needle. Now, I find it pretty hard to thread a needle. I've got a piece of cotton here. To get the cotton, do you find this? To get the cotton to go through the hole, I find really hard. I managed it before church. It is doable to get the cotton, but it's pretty hard. I didn't manage it then. I've got a piece of wool. Children, do you ever try this, to thread a needle? I think that it is too hard to get that wool to go through the needle. I, I'm not convinced it will go, it's just too hard. To get a rope to go through the needle? Obviously impossible. To get a camel to go through the needle? Oh, you're just being silly. Why does Jesus choose such a, what seems a silly example, a camel to go through the eye of a needle? By the way, there's some people who say the eye of a needle was the name of a gate in the walls of Jerusalem that was very hard for camels to go through. There is no evidence of that, and it completely doesn't fit with what Jesus is saying. He really is talking about this sort of thing, a camel go through that. In other words, he's saying it's impossible. He's not just saying it's a bit hard, like a camel going through a gate in a wall. He's saying it is completely impossible. And the disciples get that he's saying that. Verse 26. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? And do you notice they broaden it out from this rich man. They say, who then can be saved? They've broadened it out. And Jesus agrees with them broadening it out. Jesus doesn't say, no, no, you've misunderstood It is too hard for Elon Musk and the millionaires to get into the kingdom of God. But if you live in a three-bedroomed house on the forest side of Loughborough, it's fairly easy. I don't know if we've got any millionaires with us. Yeah? But if you're not a millionaire, then you can do it. If you're a millionaire, it's getting hard. If you're a billionaire, completely impossible. No, he says, he agrees with them. Who then can be saved? He says. He says, actually, you're right, verse 27, it's impossible with humans. It's impossible with humans. Why is it impossible with humans? Well, let's have a think about this rich young man again. I notice in verse 17 he is eager for eternal life. This man isn't just a a mocker like we heard about in Psalm 1. There are people who just mock I notice in verse 22 he walks away sad. It doesn't say he walked away despising Jesus. (laughs) You're not really a good teacher. I've tested you out and you're not. I despise you. He doesn't. He walks away sad. I think there's something genuine here in his desire for eternal life. But his money, his pride, his way of life have a grip on him. They won't let go of him and he won't let go of them. They've got a grip on him. And so, it is impossible. It's impossible for him. You see, again I must say, if becoming a Christian was just a matter of working out, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Yes, the evidence is good. And it is. And you should work it out. And then ticking off, yes I believe in Jesus, good. That's it, done. Now you should work it out. You should look at the evidence. You should be persuaded. The evidence is good but if it was just that why would Jesus say it's impossible with men because we can do that the evidence is available you can weigh it up but trusting Jesus is more it's following him and we are too addicted to our sins we are sin addicts who cannot on our own break the addiction we are too insistent on our agenda To allow Jesus to follow the, to set the agenda. Does that mean you're stuck? Sounds like we're stuck. No wonder the disciples say, who then can be saved? Verse 26. And so we've got to get to now, fifthly, lastly, the solution. The solution. And this is verse 27 to 31. Who then can be saved? The disciples say. And the answer, Verse 27, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. You see, the answer is, God can change our hearts. We need persuasion, we need evidence, but we need more than that. That on its own isn't enough, we need heart surgery. I'm not talking about this muscle inside you that pumps around the blood. I'm talking about those deeply rooted attitudes and desires. We need them changed. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. Telling people the gospel addresses their mind. And we must do it. It addresses their understanding. But you won't get... People don't change without a decision by their will. And our will... The human will is controlled by the human heart. Those deep attitudes and desires. And the sinful human heart keeps dragging our will away from God. The human heart drags us towards sin. We love sin away from Jesus. We don't love him until the Holy Spirit changes a person's heart. Could Elon Musk enter the kingdom of God? Could the poorest, most famine-stricken child enter the kingdom of God? Yes. Yes. When God works to change their heart, their deepest attitudes and desires. And God does. He does. He's done it for many here. And he did it for those first disciples. Have a look at verse 28. Verse 28 Peter said to him, we have left everything to follow you. When God changes our hearts, we simply rely on Jesus. And when we simply rely on Jesus, we'll leave anything to follow him. Because he's the way to eternal life. I'm going to have to stop and I haven't got time to go through these unusual verses in verse 29 to 31. But I just want to point out this. What do you think of what Peter said in verse 28? Peter said, we have left everything to follow you. What do you think of his answer? How would you react? I think if I didn't have verse 29 to 31, if I didn't know what Jesus said, I would think, Peter, that's so boastful. Peter, you really haven't got it. Jesus has said it's impossible. We don't do it. We can't do it. Peter, we're all too sinful. And as for you, Peter, you really are. Back in chapter 8, you've been contradicting Jesus. Back in chapter 9, you've been saying the wrong thing. Soon you're going to deny Jesus to save your own skin. Peter, you and your friends are a right mess. You keep failing. That would be my reaction. I'm very grateful Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus reacted very positively to Peter. Peter was a mess. The disciples were a mess. They failed many times. But Jesus is able to give them a reassuring, a reaffirming answer because God had changed their hearts. They couldn't do it, but God had done it in them. And they were following Jesus. And yes, they kept failing. And yes, they were so weak. But however poorly they were following Jesus, he reassures them, it will be worth it. That's what these verses are about. He's saying it will be worth it. God will give. As a gift to weak, needy disciples who, like little children, they need to be provided for. God will give them eternal life, and it will all be worth it. Well, this morning has been the same subject as the last four Sunday mornings. I don't know if you've been noticing or following or if you've been here for those four, but it's been exactly the same subject this week as the previous four. It's all about following Jesus. Jesus said, follow me. Real faith leads to following him. Living the way he tells us by his words and his example. I wonder, did you see the news about the census results? Thomas mentioned it in his prayer, the news about the census results. The the first thing I saw about it was a headline on the BBC website and the headline said only 46% of people in the UK are Christians. I thought, wow, if only 46% of people in the UK are Christians. Can you imagine if 46% of people in the UK were trusting Jesus enough to follow him, to put him above money and status and family and me and my comfortable life? If 46% of the people living in these streets were doing that, it would be an amazingly transformed society. Jesus isn't wanting you to just tick the Christian box on the census and turn up to church and identify as a Christian. Jesus wants people who've called out, God, I need you. I cannot change my heart. I find I cannot free myself from this sin. I need you. Take away this love of sinning. Make me someone who follows Jesus, whatever the cost, whatever I have to give up. Is that you? Is that you? It's so much better. It's a better, a richer, a fuller life than just being one of the 46% who tick Christian on the census.